The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. I'm Dr. Dr. Rebecca Risk, and today we're talking with Patricia Tallman. She has a doctorate in water resources engineering and a master's degree in environmental engineering sciences. Today, we're discussing her book, The Restorer Planet Diet. Patricia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And what made you decide to, to write this book? Well, um, the my book is actually a culmination of a of a journey that took about um, uh, thirteen years, and um, it was over this period that uh, from initially when we uh, my husband and I decided to become vegans, um, and through the process over that time of learning everything that I have learned. Um, I decided to put everything I know into a book so that people um, who are just simply unaware can learn about all I've learned uh, in a single source. So um, your your book is, is also, I mean, it's the Restore Our Planet Diet. So you're not just talking about being vegan. You're talking about the impact that um, that can have on the environment. And, of course, your, <laughs> your studying is very, very environmental. What has made you so passionate about that? Well, um, I, uh, I was interested in the environment way back in, um, in the 70s, um, not, not that I want to carbon date myself here, but um, <laughs> but that that was um, you know quite a novel um, uh, a novel concept at the time, and uh, I was always interested in new and emerging fields of studies, and um, so that you know back then uh, green and um, uh, environment it, it was not a household word. And uh, I wanted to solve, you know, global environmental issues like water pollution, air pollution. Um, and, of course, um, you know, even th- back then, we were aware of the smog issue in L.A. And, and so those are things that intrigued me because I thought, you know, uh, this is the only planet we have and we need to keep it clean uh, so that future generations can uh, uh, will be able to experience the beauty that we have experienced. So that was my, that was my initial uh, interest. So I, I know you know, in, back in the seventies when you were interested, you, um, it wasn't well known. It is well known now, but I, I think it might be important for us to talk about exactly you know what is happening, why it's so. Your book is so important for people to realize the changes that they can make. So, what exactly is climate change? Well, uh, climate change um, is is basically a uh, it's a 
It's a two-word phrase that uh, refers to the alteration of long-term weather patterns. So, um, so some of the uh, uh, symptoms of climate change would be um, the ocean warming and the ocean acidification. That's uh, part of uh, climate change, uh, as well as uh, rising sea levels. Uh, increased global temperatures that we're experiencing every year. You know, the average temperature is warmer than the previous one. And, of course, um, people are familiar with the melting of the Arctic sea ice. Um, so those are all um, indications of uh, climate change. And so what does that, that mean for us um, living on this planet if these things are changing? Well, um, if these things are changing, for example, rising sea levels, melting of the Arctic sea ice, let's take rising sea levels. Um, when um, uh, low-lying uh, cities or um, uh, towns, uh, when they get flooded, that would mean we have uh, climate change refugees. And people that are, you know, we, well, first of all, we have political refugees right now because of the, you know, wars like uh, in Syria. But when climate change affects people's um, habitat, that becomes an inevitable, um, it, it creates refugees on a level that we haven't experienced um, before. And also in terms of the, um, the melting Arctic Sea, um, we know that the polar bear habitat is diminishing because they are not able to rely on the sea ice uh, so that they can go and, you know, catch their prey. Um, and so all this has an effect on the inhabitants of the planet, um, not only humans, but all the um, Animals that depend on their envir- on their environment. So, for example, when we have increased acidification in the ocean, um, we're finding that the um, sea life, uh, some of them uh, are, ex- are exhibiting signs that they're not able to adapt as fast as the um, as the temperature is increasing or as the acidification is increasing. So those, those all have consequences on the livability of our planet. So um, what's causing it? Well, climate change is a result of uh, greenhouse gas in, in the atmosphere. And greenhouse gas uh, is produced when uh, we have, when we burn fossil fuels, uh, when we drive cars, um, Basically, human activities um, have uh, led to an increase in uh, the emission of greenhouse gas into the atmosphere. Um, so, the, uh, you know, I think it's important for us to, to talk about this topic. I actually love talking about, you know, the environment. I was brought up, um, my mom being very environmental, and, um, you know, very early we were, before, you know, we were taking our own bags to the store, and everybody thought that we were crazy, and it was like 20 years later that bags, you know, you have to pay for, or you take your own. And um, I think that the awareness these days um, has become quite strong, which I love, and uh, which is why. I loved your book because you're just laying that out so easily for everybody to see what is going on and how they can make um, some pretty dramatic changes. 
And uh, you, you talk about the eco footprint. That um, can you just explain what that is? Sure. Um, eco footprint is um, the, the term was originally um, conceived in 1990 by uh, two fellows from uh, the University of uh, British Columbia, actually. And um, but but since then, uh, it has uh, morphed into uh, more specific. Um, applications. So rather than just a general ecological footprint, we now have specific footprints like um, um, uh, uh, water footprint, uh, the manure footprint. Um, so, the, so the ecological footprint uh, basically tells, um, uh, tells people uh, humans demand on uh, nature. So it represents the uh, productive area that's required to provide renewable resources for us to continue living. And um, the, the problem is that we are taking from the earth uh, faster than the earth can regenerate itself. So uh, right now, uh, it takes the earth about one, one and a half years to regenerate what we use in a year. So mm-hmm. it, we're in what's called an ecological overshoot. So we need to slow down a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it, in your book, and correct me if I'm wrong, you talk about how you were very passionate about the environment, but you didn't realize that your diet was impacting it. And, and uh, can you just talk about that a little bit? Yes. Um, so that was a huge um, revelation for me because um, since I was so um, passionate about helping the environment, and um, it, um, you know, when I realized the environmental impacts of animal agriculture, it then directly hits home. And um, so uh, I don't know if I can um, sort of digress a little bit. Um, I, I didn't come to. Um, uh, I didn't decide to become a vegan because of the environment. Um, I we decided um, for ethical reasons. Um, and back then, when we decided, it was um, before the age of the internet. So uh, information was only you can only obtain that either by you know if you happen to see something on TV or something in the newspaper or, you know, direct uh, brochures that you ask for, things like that. Um, you can't just Google something on, you know, and find it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that, that's what I meant by it was a, a process at the beginning. So, um, but then, um, the in, you know, a few years down the road, um, we started, you know, seeing newspaper articles about the damage to the environment of animal agriculture. And so what does that mean? Well, animal agriculture... Um, exists because um, pe- because of people's demand uh, for meat and dairy. So then we started looking at um, the impact, and when we realized the um, huge toll that the animal agriculture has on the environment, um, it then clicked. 
to me, uh, I mean, it clicked for me that if I'm passionate about the environment, you know, I could be solving uh, environmental problems on, you know, during my work day and then go go home and um, be part of the, um, you know, be part of the problem of contributing to environmental problems at dinner. So um, it, um, it it really was a wake-up call for me, and, and I... I think it could also be for people who are simply unaware uh, in terms of the proportion of impact that animal agriculture has uh, on the environment. So I, I think for me it was um, at that point that there was really, um, it, it was never, I, I would never go back um, to eating meat and dairy, but, but that really cemented uh, that decision. Um, well, you know, the first thing that you say in your book is a quote that says a vegetarian in a Hummer produces fewer greenhouse emissions than a meat eater in a Toyota Prius. Right. And, and, and I believe that was a quote. Um, I, I don't quite remember where it was it's from. from a documentary. Was, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, you know, since... Uh, since that quote, um, you know, because of the improvement, improved inf- uh, efficiencies in ve- vehicles, um, it may not be exactly quite true, but the same sentiment is there. And, and so let, let me explain. Um, you know, when people think about helping the environment, they'll think of, first of all, um, well, first of all, people would like to point to the energy sector. You know, um, you know we shouldn't be, um, uh, you know, uh, pipeline protesting come to mind, and you know, um, burning uh, burning of fossil fuels, and and that is true. The energy sector is by far the um, the largest contributor in terms of sector uh, of greenhouse gas emissions, and that's at twenty six percent of global greenhouse gas emissions. Now, the um, but then the second thing people would think of is um, transportation. They'll, you know, we're always encouraged to um, take transit, uh, drive less, you know, combine your, tri- your errands so you can do them in one trip. Uh, if you can afford it, buy electric vehicles or hybrid vehicles, a carpool. Um, so there's a lot of emphasis, and those are also good measures of um, uh, reducing carbon. Um, but, but if you look at the transportation sector, uh, combined, and that's not just cars uh, and trains. Uh, that also includes um, flying, which is a huge greenhouse gas emitter, uh, and ships. All those transporta- modes of transportation combined, their current contribution to global greenhouse gas emissions is 13%. Now, we have the 13 and we have the 26. And animal agriculture, the minimum estimate is 15% of global greenhouse gas emissions. So it's actually higher, the minimum uh, estimate is higher than that of the transportation sector. So if we have so much emphasis in uh, public discourse uh, on transportation and energy uh, use, uh, why do we not have a similar uh, discussion on diet, reducing our dietary greenhouse gas emissions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because after all, it is a significant um, contributor. 
And in fact, some experts argue that that contribution could be as high as 25%, which is just 1% lower than the energy sector. So it's smack in the middle between transportation and the energy sector. So it is a significant contributor. So, and, and, and then if, if everyone, um, were to eat a plant-based diet, we could reduce the green, the dietary greenhouse gas emissions globally by 70%. And that was a report that was just uh, out a few months ago. So that's, a, it showed, that's a pretty big deal. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, we're going to take a quick break. And uh, okay. we're going to, when we come back, we're going to talk about this more. We're talking to Patricia Tallman. She is the uh, author of The Restore Our Planet Diet. Um, so we're talking about the impact that um, your diet, especially the um, meat and dairy industry, can have on the environment. So tune in. We'll be back shortly. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. Today we're talking with Patricia Tallman. She's the author of the Restore Our Planet Diet. Um, Patricia, we, we talked about, um, you know, the that the meat and dairy industries are, are affecting the environment. Um, and, and so, of course, the next thing is what do we do next? And um, your book talks about becoming vegan. And can you just explain what that means? Sure. Um, you know, first of all, one of the things that I um, always um, tell people in my seminars is that, um, you know, people, particularly to people who are not attuned to eating plant-based, they'll look at the word vegan and say, oh, I could never do that. Well, forget it. Um, but the point of the message is that um, don't, uh, don't let, um, just because you can't do something 100%, uh, don't feel that you have to then abandon the idea. Because any improvement uh, you make towards a plant-based diet, any shift towards that uh, regime is better than nothing. So even if you can do, just do Meatless Mondays, that would be a first step. Because any... Um, 
Anytime you replace a meat-based meal with a plant-based meal, as I illustrate in several chapters of my book, you will um, generate environmental savings, as I uh, show, and you will also realize nutritional benefits for yourself, and you would have saved uh, X number of animals that would have been killed. So every meal, you are generating benefits. And the point is that the more you do this, the greater the benefits. Um, so if you want to go 50%, that is good. If you can, um, you know, go 100%. So the point is to just start. And a lot of people tell me that once they've started, they feel so much better. And then they say, you know, why haven't I done this sooner? And, um, and then I tell people, well, you know, uh, I bet you 98% of the people who have gone vegan uh, were not born vegans. Um, so, but we have come to realize after trying this or even without before trying this that this is the, um, the way to go. And in the future, this will have to be the way that you'll have to go uh, one way or another because we simply do not have the resources to continue this way of eating um, uh, for the next uh, for the next uh, generation. And and so you're saying this is the way we have to go because of the damage that we're doing to the environment. That's right. Because um, there's a um, a few studies have have uh, come out, and one of them has said that you know as a comparison that if everyone were to eat the Western diet, uh, like North Americans, it would require four planet Earths to produce that food. And uh, by 2050, we're going to add uh, two and a half more billion people on Earth. And uh, a study, a recent study out of the UK indicated that if we were to continue on the same eating pattern, by 2050, the um, demand for meat will increase by roughly 75%, so almost double, and, by, and for dairy, would increase by 65%. So clearly, we do not have four, three, or another planet Earth to produce this kind of food. Um, I think you said something about how we would need four planet Earths in your book. Yes, to, yes that's to, right. To do that, and, and we don't. <laughs> we just have this one. Um, so, aside from the environmental impact, are there other reasons why people would choose a plant-based diet? Yes. Well, there's, um, you know, the, uh, you know, more of a selfish reason would be um, uh, for your own health. And, um, you know, it's been uh, proven in medical uh, literature, medical journals, that a plant-based diet not only... Uh, uh, is good for preventing chronic diseases, but also in many cases reverse uh, chronic diseases like diabetes, heart disease, uh, and sometimes even cancer. Uh, so, you know, um, uh, what, what I like to say is that with the same one diet, the plant-based diet, you are able to um, uh, get optimum nutrition, uh, get the best best chance for disease preven- prevention, as well as helping the environment. Um, and it's the same diet, same plant-based diet. Okay. So there are some people that argue that humans are designed to eat meat and that 
that's something that we need to do, um, which is, you know, especially the, the popular um, paleo diet. Yeah. Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on this? Well, um, I have several thoughts on that. And um, so, first of all, the paleo uh, diet is, you know, is a myth because um, it's been shown uh, by several um, authoritative people uh, that most of what the, quote, paleo people ate at that age um, uh, in that era uh, were mostly uh, plant foods with only a few and far in between um, some uh, meat protein. Um, it, it's actually the, you know, they call it the hunter-gatherers, but it's actually the, the hunter part that they like to glorify, but it's mostly the gatherers, the women, that uh, found most of the uh, food that made up a big proportion of their diet. Um, but why do we focus on just that period? I mean, we have existed for um, many years uh, before the Paleolithic age. Why just focus on that age? And the, the, the way I like to um, dispel this myth is, um, is to um, uh, relate the work of Dr. Milton Mills. Uh, Dr. Mills is a physician, and, and what he did was he looked at, um, you know, uh, he looked at anatomical and physical features of carnivores, omnivores, and herbivores. And I described uh, his work in, in, in the book. And basically, what he found was that if you looked at um, 18, there were about 18 characteristics, everything from our jaw structure to uh, our teeth to our digestive system. Um, if you list all those um, attributes down for carnivores, omnivores, and herbivores, um, and then you write the same attributes down for humans, what you find is that all 18 of those characteristics for humans line up with those of the herbivores, not the omnivores nor the carnivores. So, you know, if, if an alien came to Earth and uh, had to feed us and, and they looked at our, our physical features, they would come to the conclusion that our bodies are, in fact, designed to eat, to eat plants and not meat. Hmm. So, um, that, I mean, that makes sense. And I, I like how you say we need to look at the other times as well, because, um, you know, we, we adapt genetically to what's happening as well. So, you know, even if we were at one point eating the way the paleo diet says we were, it, it changes over time as we're changing what we're doing over generations. Yes. Um, so, in your book, you talk about humane meat. What does that mean? Well, humane meat is a label that um, refers to certain um, uh, certain companies that produce meat that are somehow uh, uh, quote better than factory farm counterparts. Now, um, wow! So. So what this does is that it plays to the consumer's um, desire to um, at least have a sense of comfort that the animals were treated uh, well before they were killed. So um, while this is a, um, a good marketing tool, in reality, it does very little for 
the animals themselves. Um, so, for example, um, you know, when you talk about uh, pasture-raised beef, right? So the humane uh, meat usually comes from oftentimes smaller um, uh, organic or, um, you know, uh, private owner farms. So we tend to have this... Um, a romanticized image that these animals are living a life of, uh, you know, a luxury <laughs> and um, of charm and, um, you know, and then off they go to be killed. Well, um, in, in essence, what happens, for example, if you talk about pasture-raised beef, um, while the beef does get to uh, roam around on pasture, I mean the cows, uh, they are... Um, they are still killed at a fraction of their age in the end. So cows live somewhere between 20 to 25 years, and so the uh, the beef that comes from cows are uh, usually around one and a half to two years old. So it would be like saying to a slave, uh, I'm going to treat you better, but I'm still going to... Uh, you know, kill you at a fraction of your lifespan because I want to eat your meat. Um, so that's the ethical point. The the uh, environment, from an environmental perspective, it is um, it is incorrect to say that it's environmentally better because research has shown, for example, in the case of beef, that they actually emit two to four times more greenhouse gas than their factory farm counterparts. The reason being that because they're raised on pasture, it takes them longer to uh, achieve their uh, slaughter weight. Uh, so while they are grazing, there's more opportunity for them to release more greenhouse gas uh, from the front and the back end. So, um, so it doesn't make sense uh, from that perspective as well. Um, it is highly impractical to have this on a large-scale model to feed uh, all the people that want to eat meat uh, because it, we, we just simply do not have that land for animals to roam around. So um, in all, on all fronts, while it's a modicum of measure better uh, uh, and it's just you know, uh, very minorly so for the animals, it is not environmentally better uh, and I doubt that it is even uh, better for you in terms of uh, health. Okay, so a lot of people talk about eating locally as well, just because that's reducing the amount of carbon fuels um, just with the transportation. Does that make a difference? Yes. Now, uh, if you want to eat local, it makes a lot of sense. For example, uh, when you go to farmer's market in the summertime, you get local fresh produce. That makes a lot of sense. Um, it's fresher because it's local. It doesn't, you know, your vitamins aren't lost between, you know, days of transport from California. Um, uh, plus, you also support the local economy. And, of course, you save, like you mentioned, the carbon uh, from transportation. However, it makes, um, very, it makes little sense in terms of animal products. The reason being that the majority of the greenhouse gas emissions for animal products uh, comes from the production of the animal product, not the transportation part. Uh, because if you look at it globally um, by activity in terms of um, growing the feed to feed the animals, then the, uh, the fermentation uh, of the food, 
uh, in the stomachs of uh, ruminant animals, and you look at uh, the storage uh, processing, and then you look at transportation. Those are the four main activities of uh, in animal agriculture that produce greenhouse gas. Transportation only takes up the transportation and processing of the final animal product is six percent, and and even if you include transportation of the feed to the slaughterhouse, it will only go to somewhere like ten percent. So it really is somewhere between six and ten percent of the total global greenhouse gas emissions of the animal product. What would make more sense if you are seriously about helping the environment? would be to eat a plant-based meal. Okay. Yeah, and that's why I have a graph in there that shows the greenhouse gas emissions of animal products versus plant foods. Yeah, in your book, especially with every recipe, you lay out what what you're change like what you're changing by removing the meat from that recipe and changing it to a plant-based diet which i think is helpful too so you know what you're doing yeah. and what changes you're making yeah yeah um we're going to take a quick break today we're talking with patricia tallman she is the author of the restore planet diet um so we're going to be back shortly um please stay tuned Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. Today we're talking with Patricia Tallman. She's the author of the Restore Our Planet Diet. So Patricia, um, you you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I'm just wondering um, if you can lay out exactly if there are any health risks to eating meat. Because you said people do feel better when they switch over. So what's exactly happening? Well, um, first of all, um, um, people in general, if they're eating um, a meat-based diet, uh, is getting too much protein. And uh, too much protein is associated with um, kidney disease, um, cancer, and osteoporosis. So um, when the, the, the point about um, eating um, the difference between a meat-based and a plant-based diet is basically comes down to the following. When you're eating a meat-centered diet, you get, uh, it's very easy to get too much protein, uh, and we do. Um, the average North American gets about twice as much as what's recommended. Um, 
So we get too much protein, and we don't get enough of the antioxidants, the vitamins, the minerals, and the fiber that are um, present in plant foods that are uh, uh, that are very low or negligent uh, in animal foods. However, if we switch to a plant-based diet, we get sufficient protein while at the same time we're harnessing the powerful antioxidants, the vitamins, the minerals, and the fiber. So one of the things that people um, uh, usually, um, first when they go on a plant-based diet, they say they feel better, is they're eating more fiber. Um, 97%, it's been estimated that 97% of North Americans, and that's Canadians and Americans, do not get the minimum recommended amount of daily fiber. And where do you get fiber? You only get it in plant foods, right? So, um, and fiber helps with removing cholesterol, removing toxins, um, keeping people regular, and that is uh, one of the health benefits of eating plant-based is that you will naturally get more fiber in your diet. Um, And... um, um, no, I think I lost my train of thought. That's okay. So, um, you know, I think that the protein issue is good to talk about because a lot of people, they're so worried when, when you know, you're not eating meat at every meal that you're not getting enough protein. And, um, um, you know, in your book, I, I think you just touched on it. What you said was that we're getting too much protein. I think you you lay out what the World Health Organization recommends, and everybody's eating like seventy times that, right? Yeah. Um, so so can you just talk about that a little bit? Sure. Well, the uh, the recommended dietary allowance um, for protein is 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight, and that's for the average person. You know. Um, so, um, of course, if, if, you're, if you're recovering from an illness, if you're pregnant, if you're the elderly, you, the ratio might be a little higher, might be one, something like that. And, of course, if you are a bodybuilder or an endurance athlete, uh, that ratio of 0.8 is even slightly higher, somewhere between 1.2 and 1.7. However, no matter the ratio, um, y- you can... You can obtain all the protein needs you can if you're eating a whole food, plant-based diet. Now, I want to stress that what I'm talking about is a healthy vegan diet, not one that's based on French fries, beer, or vegan donuts. And if you're eating that, it's vegan, but you're not going to get your protein <laughs> requirement. <laughs> so, um, so um, you know, if you're eating whole foods, you know that then you are it, it's it's almost impossible to design a whole food plant based diet that's sufficient in calories but deficient in protein. Um, we can see um, uh, vegan athletes, you know, elite vegan athletes that require several thousand calories a day are able to obtain all their protein from plants. And the reason uh, more and more elite athletes are going plant-based is because they have discovered that they do get sufficient protein. They get enough protein from plants as well as what I um, mentioned earlier, getting all the benefits of the antioxidants. And what those antioxidants do for the athlete is that it um, helps them recover faster. And so they can train more and improve their athletic performance. 
So, um, you know, if a, if a vegan athlete that requires several thousand calories can, um, can thrive on a plant-based diet, um, you know, the average person, uh, you know, can certainly find enough ca- um, protein from uh, uh, plant foods in uh, their ordinary, uh, way, uh, ordinary way of eating. Well, I think that that's a really good example because, you know, their calories are high and, and their activity is high. And um, I've actually read um, that there are, yeah, some very high athletes that have em- embraced being vegan and they actually feel better and their their performance is better. Yes, yes. And, and uh, one of the um, examples I give, and, and, um, and on my website, um, uh, there are there's information on the website that's not in the book, and and one of one of the, uh, one of the pages on the website um, shows all the different uh, vegan athletes, everything from you know endurance sports uh, to uh, bodybuilder, so people can get a sense of how um, how not only can you survive but you can thrive on a plant based diet. And, and one of the examples I like to use is uh, a man by the name of Patrick Baboumian, um, who, uh, who, who, who I think he was a vegetarian um, most of his life. Uh, but in 2011, he decided to go vegan after he uh, found out about the, um, the terrible suffering that uh, cows go through. So he went vegan, uh, gave up dairy uh, in 2011, and in 2000. And 13, he broke another record. I mean, he's broken several more records since then. He's a he's what's called a strongman competitor. He uh, competes in strongman competition, and he's he's known as the strongest man in uh, in Germany. Um, and this record he broke was actually in Canada when he lifted uh, 550 kilos. That's something like 1,200 pounds. Uh, he lifted that weight and carried it for 10 meters. Um, so that is, you know, that's something that, you know, that I tell people, look, vegans are not weaklings. I mean, you can be, but you don't have to be, um, mm-hmm. depending on how well you eat. And, I mean, just, just look at Patrick. Uh, just look at the elephants. Um, nobody would um, question that those animals that are herbivores are deficient in protein. Hmm. So if there's somebody listening who's realizing that this is something that they want to undertake, um, but they have been a meat eater, aside from uh, Meatless Mondays, which you mentioned earlier, is yeah. there a way that, that they can get started to implement this in their life? Well, um, what I often uh, recommend is, uh, first of all, um, get a basic understanding of how it impacts your health. When you realize, um, you know, most people are driven, uh, not most, I would say a good proportion of people are driven by health and a good proportion are driven by the environment and a good proportion are driven by ethics. And all those three, um, especially health and environment, are addressed in my book. So um, they can get a copy of the book and um, read about the impacts on those uh, specific topics. And there's a list of resources at the end of the book, uh, some websites and uh, some films that people can watch to further enhance their understanding. Um, so that's the first step. Um, and once you have a, get a sense of how, um, how bad animal protein is for your health, and for the environment and for the animals, um, 
Then uh, the first thing I would recommend people to do uh, in their transition is to eliminate dairy. Uh, there are two reasons. Because, uh, well, first of all, because it's bad for you, but also because dairy is one of the easiest things to replace nowadays. It, it wasn't so when we started, um, you know, about 13, 14 years ago. Uh, but nowadays, it's the easiest thing to replace because uh, we have plant-based versions of cow's milk that you can directly substitute for your cereals, uh, for your smoothies, for your baking. Um, they're all fortified to the same uh, degree of calcium as cow's milk, so you're not losing calcium. Um, you can, and it also does not contain all the hormones and growth factors and opioid compounds that dairy contains. We also have plant-based yogurts and plant-based cheeses and plant-based desserts. So there is no need for, you know, sacrifice. We can still indulge, um, but we don't, but that indulgence does not carry any um, ethical issues with it uh, because no cows have to suffer for it and we are not putting things that are bad for us into our bodies and we're not harming the environment. So what the, the first step I would um, suggest is to replace all the dairy uh, <coughs> products that one is consuming with plant-based alternatives. Okay, and so when people are switching over from um, eating less meat or no meat, um, how can they go about that to make a proper transition to feel okay with what they're doing? Okay, so the uh, the powerhouse of protein in uh, uh, in a plant based diet are the the legumes. So the legumes consist of um, you know their uh, the two main branches of legumes are uh, one branch is the soy and peanuts. Um, so anything that's made from soy. Uh, so I recommend in my book to get um, organic or at least non-GMO soy. So um, tofu, tempeh, um, uh, uh, soy milk, um, you know, peanut butter, uh, those are all good forms of protein. Um, the other uh, huge category of protein are what's called pulses. And pulses are your beans, um, you know, kidney beans, black beans, turtle beans, uh, black turtle beans, I said that, uh, navy beans, uh, garbanzo beans, um, and then also your lentils, uh, red lentils, uh, green lentils, black lentils, um, uh, split peas, you know, green split peas, yellow split peas. Um, those kind of things are, are legumes. I mean, sorry, are pulses, and those are uh, that combined with the uh, the the soy products are very high in uh, protein. So, if you were to replace your meat protein with those plant protein powerhouses, as I demonstrate in those uh, recipes where I switch the meat protein with the plant protein, uh, that way you are ensuring that you're getting a quality. Uh, clean protein uh, in your diet. So um, in your book, you actually have a lot of recipes, which I think, you know, if somebody's wanting to embrace this or just even make some small changes, um, you have, um, you know, really good examples. And you've got chapters on um, if you're, you know, replacing chicken to to do this. Um, Is there a recipe that's your favorite recipe in here? 
Well, yes. Um, actually, one of my favorite recipes um, is um, towards the back of the book where, uh, where, the, where it's just plain recipes. So I have chapters on um, uh, vegetables, so you can make different kinds of vegetables, a chapter on legumes. And incidentally, this is the International Year of the Pulses. Uh, so, you know, I feature a whole chapter on different ways to make uh, legumes, including uh, veggie burgers, uh, making legumes, uh, uh, using legumes to make that. Um, so one of my favorite is yam and black bean chili. Um, and so chili, you know, everybody likes, you know, it's chili. And um, I haven't met anybody that hasn't liked chili. Um, so the So first of all, uh, it, it, it's really easy to make because you uh, just eliminate the meat, add a few more beans, add a little bit more vegetables, um, and I put in the yam because it's nice and sweet. Everybody likes yam, and yam, you know, is famous for its uh, c- correct noise. And so you get uh, increased fiber, increased antioxidants, uh, in, you know, you have clean protein in that meal. So it's a good example of a very satisfying meal um, that a meat eater, I think, would enjoy. Okay. Um, so I, if anybody that's listening um, is wanting to get a hold of you or find your book, um, do you have a website that they can find more information at? Yes. Uh, it's called uh, com. Okay, and the book is called This Restore Our Planet Diet, so that makes yeah. it easy. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's great. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I do love this topic. I think it was um, a, a good one to talk about, especially in, in this day and age. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be able to um, share this with uh, your audience. Um, so next week we're going to be talking, um, uh, uh, interviewing the authors of the Pain-Free Posture Handbook. So be sure to tune in. Um, today we were talking with Patricia Tallman. She is the author of the Restore Our Planet Diet. So thanks so much for listening and make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.